Welcome to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I'm Teresa Wiedrich at CapturingTheCharmLife.com. I'm here to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you are a homeschool mama looking for a strategy or a few for your self-care, then this is the podcast for you. In today's episode, I'm going to invite you into my homeschool room. Every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you are invited to a Zoom chat, Let's Chat Girlfriend. You'll find that link on my Facebook page, Homeschool Mama Self-Care. Recently changed name from Capturing the Charm Life to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. Today, I'm going to share with you my discussion on Enneagram and personality profiling and how that can help us understand our kids, their learning, and our interactions as a homeschool family. I'm going to discuss a frequently asked question about why you don't need to be a teacher to homeschool your kids. And I'm going to get down into the discussion of creating learning opportunities instead of thinking of an academic education in segregated school subjects which is to this day a challenge for me to do. De-schooling, here I come, still. So, let's chat. Welcome. Just putting some pencils away. They're scattered about with some garden tape and some Nerf bullets. And what else is there? Little silver balls that come from some sort of game. Um, It wasn't here an hour ago. This is my world. So, oh, look, I've still got my sunglasses on. I was outside, not at the beach yet. I'll be at the beach in a few minutes uh, when I go to my poolside development space. And I'm going to bring my kids and my mom, which is a real fun opportunity in the summer. She's not from around these parts, so it's nice to actually see her once this year. Hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here. So today I have had a few questions from audience members um, about learning opportunities. Learning opportunities about how kids learn, about how to create a routine in your day, and specifically about our day, what our day looks like. So I am gonna start our chat together with a little show and tell, because I'm missing show and tell. Show and tell today is going to be the discussion on Enneagrams. Have you heard about the personality profiling system, Enneagram? It has uh, become kind of popular. It's got flavors of Myers-Briggs. It gives you a sense about who you are. It gives you a sense about what your partner is like, if you have one. You maybe your sense about your children and how unique and different they are, your natural giftings, and it gives you a sense of where their challenges are. I love studying this stuff. Anything that has something to do with personality profiling. And for your knowledge, I'm an ENFJ on some days, an INFJ on Myers-Briggs. And in the Enneagram, surprise, I'm a type three. So tell me in the comments below, what are you? And how do you find the use of Enneagram or other personality profiling systems in your homeschool? How does it help you to understand your children, how you interact with them, what each of you needs. I've found this to be a pretty useful process and there really isn't enough self-exploration for us to have a greater understanding of our kids. So I find that really helpful. That is my show and tell for the day. So I asked the audience, what things would you like to hear about? And I'll tell you that today I got very clear ideas from a bunch of people that they would like to hear about what our actual daily schedule is. That's hard for me to answer because A, I'm going into a new year and it's radically different than any other year that I've had. But I really do find that um, give a few months, give me a few years, and it seems like as long as one child enters a new stage or a different maturity or wants more independence um, or is more independent, I find that our schedule totally changes and I have to shift gears 
again. So should I take that comment or that question from, you know, when my kids were littler, like eight, five, and three, or should I talk to you about when my kids are this age? My oldest is actually in her first year of university, so I have zero influence on that. And my second daughter is finishing her last year of high school, so she really resembles a independent college student. My third daughter is actually going to be trying out public school this year, grade 10, and that's going to be a radical shift for us. She is pretty independent, and I expect that she'll have her full independence, so I really just have one child this year, and he is going into grade 7, and he happens to be the easiest kiddo to develop an educational program for because he is the most motivated and he loves to read and he's really smart. But so because I said that, I could tell you what our routine is like right now or what I anticipate it to be in the fall. It's really lots of driving. It's me driving people places. And if my oldest daughter at home right now gets her driver's license before the fall, it won't be so much driving and I'll be telling you a different story. I don't know what it's going to look like. Of course, we all don't know what it's going to look like for um, the fall because of the COVID thing and what school is going to be like or what um, our options for extracurriculars are. So we'll see. But I'm going to take a snapshot from back when my kids were about eight. How old were they? No, let's not say eight. The oldest can't be eight because I was just starting homeschooling when she was eight. And very quickly, within a couple of years, I had a radical shift in how I engaged homeschooling. So I don't want to give you those, those details or else you will do what I did. Have wildly unrealistic expectations of yourself and your children. So I'll go with a more tempered year. Maybe when my kids were something like, I don't know, 12, 10, 7, and it would have been 4, something like that. Okay. So pretty much about that time, I'd already experienced classical homeschooling. I did pretty much bring school to home. And within a couple of years after reading John Holt and John Taylor Gatto, Unschooling Veterans, they gave me a lot of ideas on how to not do school at home. So I had a radical shift in how I thought about education and I was paying attention to my kids' cues about their learning, how they learn, what they wanna learn in a whole different way, which by the way, made it a lot easier. And I sat my oldest down in a Starbucks one morning and I said, we will never do school again. You can do whatever you want. Secretly, I think, I kind of wondered if she was going to like discover something and I don't know, a physical law or <laughs> she would spend all her time in astronomy textbooks or something like that. That was my impression of unschooling that kids would just do these like remarkable things that go down in the history books. And she didn't. She did do a lot of reading. She did a lot of history reading. We did a lot of traveling at that time. So we had a lot going on at that time anyway. And then she did things like, you know, spend time in a room writing lyrics of Taylor Swift songs and made them into posters and put them up on her wall. So, and she's really creative and she's really, um, she's very in touch with her emotions and connected to her emotions. And so she spent a long time, a lot of time processing that and didn't always want to be with the busy noisy of the younger kids. So I think I'm mostly unschooled for her. And then within, I don't know, a year, everybody else got bored. Turns out that oldest child actually wanted to go to school. So she did end up going to public school in her grade 10 year. And as soon as she got into public school and did a more formal academic education she wanted out and it took her two years to finish all the three-year expectations to get her degree because or her diploma because she didn't want to be there either and that is the spirited firstborn independent kid that she is so turns out she's going into her second year not first year of university and is very academic minded now 
go figure. But at that time, the rest of the kids were kind of bored. So I reintroduced a routine, a routine that looked a lot more schooly to some. I did include things like languages, maybe French, Spanish, Italian, when we were going to Italy or um, when we went to different countries, we would study their languages. And there was also, um, there was also a time where we did a very formal kind of um, education, but then we switched gears. We did the sunschooling. We spent a few years after that doing very informal type of education. And then because the kids were bored, we decided to shake it up a bit and we created a routine, which included, like I said, languages. We did math on a routine basis, but not a lot. We did our language arts or English of some sort. We did history. We did everything, which looks like it would have been a conventional schooled routine, but I did it in a really unschooly way. We would read, we wouldn't have tests. We wouldn't grade, we wouldn't necessarily do certain written projects, but we would do some, we'd do actually quite a few written projects, but I'd always try to make it fun. I try to make sure my kids were engaged. And this is what my routine in the day would look like. So at about eight, 8.30, everybody had to be up already and in their clothes. And then we would by 8.30 have a circle time, some sort of a morning routine where we join together and get together to talk about what we we're going to do for the rest of the day. We would either do a prayer, a devotional, a meditation, maybe do some yoga together. We'd um, share affirmations together. Sometimes we were memorizing a poem together or definitely a read aloud in the morning. We do that for about half an hour to 45 minutes. And then by nine o'clock, everybody would get their books out and they would have We'd usually start with math because math is usually the thing that was the most challenging for people to engage. And so we'd start with that, maybe 15, 20 minutes of that. And I would make my rounds and make sure everybody was figuring out what was going on. And if they didn't, then I'd spend time with maybe one or two kids that day. And the next day I would do a different kid. And um, then we would all have our different writing projects Maybe we were, some of us were doing spelling programs, some were doing a dictation, or sometimes there was, um, you know, grammar lessons with first language lessons with Susan Wise Bauer for the younger kids. There was essentials in writing that we'd use at different times. Then somewhere at lunchtime, I would suggest kids go outside, run around, we'd get some lunch, we'd make lunch together, and by... One o'clock, we'd usually join back in the living room or the great room together so that we could read and have a quiet reading time. We'd have a tray of tea and we'd have our books that we were reading separately. Or if the kids were a lot younger, I would read to them and we'd do a read aloud at that time or we would do some history reading together. And that would last about 45 minutes. They'd take a break and we'd do about an hour of either history or science, twice a week science, twice a week history. We joined together to do it when they were a lot younger. And as they grew older, they got to do things independently. And Fridays, Friday mornings were usually the fun Friday routine. And we've pretty much held to that activity or that schedule or that routine for a number of years. Three o'clock, 3.30, that'd be the time that we would get into the car and go to town to do our extracurriculars a lot of the days, or some days we'd hang out at home. So that would be a typical homeschool routine. And if you have more questions about details on that, there's a lot of different things I could share in that, um, then please ask, I'm happy to share. But the one thing I'll tell you is that you are looking to uh, not so much fill a day of school, because I share with you that routine, and it could sound very schooly. However, I am very intentional about not doing that. I don't want to create a routine that is just like school, so I could just put them into school. So I'm very intentional about focusing on their interests. I ask them in the beginning of the year what activities or things they want to do. Maybe there's a Chem C500 box that they want to do, like all the different experiments throughout the year. 
there's all sorts of boxes that you can get um, sent to your door, science boxes. Maybe there's a certain kind of book that they're interested in reading. I ask them to have input on the reading list. Um, you name the subject area and I ask their input. It's easier to have them engaged when they care about the topic. Having said that, we all get tired about February when it's overcast outside and it's dreary and we've had enough of the routine. So even I get tired and bored at that time. So we switch things up by then. And sometime in May when it seems like it's time to be outside, plant a few things, learn a few things about gardening or animal care, then we go outside. So that's been our typical routine, something in that variation for a bunch of years. So the next thing that I wanted to share with you is that I, am, I have a free mini course available on Teachable. It, the link will be in the bottom of this post. You can um, access, I think it's about two and a half hours of specific, or specific topics that you might be interested in if you are a new to homeschool person. Definitely put in the comment area a specific interest that you have, and I will address those interests, but I've got a free mini course that you can get a flavor of things that I could offer you. I'm a coach, so I can do one-on-one -on -one type coaching if you're interested, and I also have a podcast that I'm doing um, right now called Homeschool Mama Self-Care, and it's an opportunity for me to encourage you in your homeschool mama challenges. So maybe we can help you turn those challenges into your charms. Today I'm going to share with you from my book room a book called Dumbing Us Down. This book is written by John Taylor Gatto. This author is someone that I have read a lot from also John Holt, the two great Johns. Both of them were school teachers, 30-year school teacher veterans that were both awarded many awards for their teaching approaches. And they both ironically have a lot of criticisms about the system and how kids are taught. So John Taylor Gatto is rip roaring fiery in his discussion. He in fact had a, an incredible fiery speech when he was awarded teacher of the decade or something like that. And it was essentially that the system is failing children. So um, you, if you read this, I have yet to meet anybody that hasn't read this and said, oh, I get what he's talking about. Because most of us have had an, a conventional education in the school system, not everybody. Some of us get the chance to be homeschooled and then homeschool again, but most of us have a conventional education and can identify with a lot of the things that he says. I have many places in this book underlined for a reason, but I'll share with you just one. I am confident that as kids gain self-knowledge, they'll also become self-teachers. And it's only self-teaching that has lasting value. We've got to get kids independent time right away because that's the key to self-knowledge. And we must re-involve them with the real world as fast as possible so that their independent time can be spent on something other than abstraction. One of many really interesting things that he shares. And I specifically chose that book today from my book room review because I wanted to share with you a discussion on learning opportunities. Instead of thinking about my um, or your intentions towards your children in what am I going to put inside their routine, their homeschool daily routine, um, like what I shared with you, our typical routine sounds kind of schooly, except that I don't follow a school curriculum. I don't take the government's curriculum or their intentions towards kids from K to 12 and take from what they have and make an academic education or an educational program for my kids. I create my own thing. Instinctively, when I first heard that, when I first heard of somebody that was unschooling or that was doing a child-directed education, I thought it was a little nutty. Like, why? 
Why reinvent the system? What's the point? In a nutshell, it's this. The system is trying to educate a lot of children. They're trying to educate the average. They're not educating a specific child. They're not engaging that specific child finding out how they learn, finding out what kind of social needs they have or what kind of extracurricular things they want to get curious about and pursue. They aren't following the um, personality of that child. They're really trying to follow what maybe that specific child would need. They're not trying to help that child become a functional, contributing human in our society that has a deep sense of purpose, is able to create an income for themselves or their family and contribute to their community. They are trying to give a base education, the same thing to everybody. And it's not bad in itself. It's just not necessarily hitting the specific child's needs. So even though it sounds like the routine that I gave you sounds like it could be a school, the way that I accomplished that is a lot different. Frequently asked question is, can I be a homeschool teacher if I haven't been trained as a teacher in the education system? Tell you that I've met a lot of teachers that have become homeschool moms and none of them said, I'm so glad I had my four-year degree so that I could teach my kids. In fact, what I hear on repeat is that I wish I could get some of this stuff out of my head in the way that I think it has to be because it's interfering with what is actually right in front of me, the kids right in front of me. Now, from a practical level, you might wonder though, but what about reading? How do I teach my child to read? Or how do I teach my child basic arithmetic? And I think those are really fair questions. Even myself, I had to relearn a lot of math and my math skills definitely top out at about grade eight, grade nine. So far, everybody's been fairly independent or my husband's been able to engage that level of math with those kids. So um, that's a good question. Can you, as a parent, find somebody to help you learn something that you don't know so that you could help your child? Or is your child capable of learning something without you in the room? You'll discover that indeed they are, and some things they don't want to. And sometimes they might not know how, they might not know how to get a resource, but you can find that for them. And I'll tell you that you are most definitely as motivated or a whole lot more motivated than any school teacher that they have because you are the one that is most motivated to provide what your kids need. You're gonna find out what is it that my kids need. You're gonna see that maybe their math skills aren't as strong in a certain area. And the school teacher is not going to necessarily see that, especially if they're doing okay. They might see that they're not capable of it, but not really grappling with something, but they'll just mark it down as 72% and that's good enough. We'll move on, you'll go to the next level. And if you are like me and you didn't find um, math easy throughout the, you know, K to 12, uh, probably for me, it's more like I missed a few things in grade two and then a couple more things along the way. And by the time we'd moved so many different places and experienced so many different school systems, grade eight, grade nine, I started to get pretty lost when it came to basic math or I think it was fractions is when it started getting really confusing for me. And then somehow I survived and I made it all the way through grade 12. But really understand math? No, I didn't. I learned that when I homeschooled. So can you learn? Can you find out? Can you find a resource to help you figure that out? Yeah, you can. Same thing with reading. Uh, actually, I'd go farther and say that when it comes to a lot of basic math and reading, it's not as hard as people say until about grade seven or so. Some things are pretty intuitive. If you're ever planning on buying something, you're going to, or cooking something, baking something, you're going to have to figure out some basic arithmetic. And the same with reading. 
just like you can't force a child to sit on the toilet when they need to go to the bathroom, they maybe won't instinctively know how to use the toilet. They will eventually get out of diapers if you keep showing them the way, showing them the directions. So we have to kind of believe that maybe one child is a year and a half and she's fully potty trained by then. And maybe another child is three and a half and maybe that difference in age isn't really that concerning. Maybe it would be okay if they had different ages of learning different things. In fact, I have a post on my blog capturing the term life um, about different experiences teaching my kids to read. So my oldest daughter was in grade one and finished um, regular school at the end of grade two. And I was pretty intent on getting her to learn to read before she went into grade one because she's a firstborn. I'm a firstborn. So she's my experimental child. I'm trying to make sure she's hit all the marks at the times that she should. And um, I think there was a grade one teacher that I remember hearing wasn't really easy to engage. And then she didn't, she didn't have a really great reputation at the time teaching. So I was hoping to kind of circumvent any criticism from that teacher towards my child. Well, so it turns out I tried to force that reading and she was, it didn't work. Like my intentions towards her, it didn't actually work the summer that I tried, but by the time she was five, yes, I know I was trying before that, but by the time she was five, she was reading uh, on target, just like everyone else. My second daughter was four when she started reading. It wasn't all that challenging to engage her because she was interested. My third daughter was three. And so it just seemed like it kept getting easier and simpler. I couldn't even show her phonics, uh, phonics rules because she was whole word reading. And I didn't know what to do with that, but she read, she immediately read, and I've never shown her how to read. She's just always read. And my youngest was a son. So based on this continual earlier reading process, I just assumed that he would be like 13 before he started reading, but he was six. So go figure. It's not as challenging as people think it is. And there's a million stories to explain that. Of course, I'm not dealing with someone that has um, a learning challenge in particular, but typical kids, some of the things that we think require a teacher must have someone to guide you along. It turns out you don't always need that. I would say that I'm not a teacher. So when people ask me, do you need to be trained in a specific education to be a teacher, I say, what would be the point of that? Because my intention is not to be a teacher. My intention is to be a guide. My intention is to be a facilitator of their education. Um, any words that are kind of like synonymous for those words, which if you really think about it though, is really what a mom is. A mom does that kind of stuff. I showed my kids how to tie their shoes. I showed my kids how to put sunscreen on before they went outside. You know, I taught them all the, so many different things and that that learning, it just continues. It doesn't stop. It just goes to, now we talk about, let's talk about how much paint we need for a specific room. Let's talk about area. Now we calculate how many liters or gallons we need for that. You know, there's, there's just a continual guiding, but not even always because they get to a certain age and they don't need that anymore or they don't want that anymore. They want to find out stuff for themselves because you've taught them where to find the stuff or how to find out something. So do I need to be a teacher? My answer is no, I don't need to be. And that is the answer to that frequently asked question. which comes at a perfect time to talk to you about creating learning opportunities. I like to encourage new homeschoolers to think outside of a schooled process, which is really difficult to do. I'm 13 years into homeschooling and I had two years to research and plan. And I still think in subjects, you heard that right off the top, the routine that I shared. I still think in subjects. Um, 
I still am not following a traditional school program. I still find myself trying to adhere to a typical daily routine and it still bugs me when I don't follow through. Partly that's because I'm a type three Enneagram, partly because I'm a firstborn, partly because that's what I've been taught and whatever other reasons there are. I think if we're our goal for a child's education is to create opportunities for them to grow and learn into becoming who they were meant to be so that they can grow up and have a deep sense of purpose and um, practical activities that might bear out in an income so they can support themselves and support their families and be a useful contributing citizen of our communities. If that's the goal of education, then I would say look for the learning opportunities. What age am I talking about? Literally any age, right from two, one and a half, all the way up until the last day that they're at your home. Except that there is a certain age where they actually don't want that kind of input. So you kind of go with that. But every child is different for that as well. I'll ask you, is this an education? Or are the following things just fun? Or what are they? Are you familiar with Minecraft and Legos? Are they learning opportunities or is it a school subject? Can you learn from it? Um, okay, are the following books or entertainment or educational? To Kill a Mockingbird, War and Peace, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Kite Runner. How about Owl Magazine? You have an idea in your head whether something's educational or entertainment. And when you take a child to a pond and she tries to lift every leaf and every rock so she can find living snails to create her own little biome, is she learning or is that entertainment? <clears throat> Excuse me. If he sits in a classroom, with a high school teacher and learns um, a lecture on poly polynomials, is that learning? Or if he's in a biology class and he's getting exposed to Krebs cycle for the first time, is it entertainment or is it learning? What about watching a YouTube video on how much algae a certain kind of fish will produce in an aquarium? Is that educational or is that entertainment? If he's writing a report about it for English class, is that entertainment or is it educational? Or if he's just keeping track of how green the um, aquarium is getting. So in his own time, is that an entertainment or an education? If um, your child likes selling you those little plastic food things on little plastic kitchens and they're about two to six years old and they're selling you a plastic cupcake for 75 cents, uh, is that educational or is that entertainment? What about if they take a food safety course for their work at a local bakery? Can you hear that you could spin all of those activities as just entertainment if the child likes it, just a curious learning opportunity, or, or it could also be an education. But if you think about all of those different, you know, learning opportunities, are all of those included in the school program of education? Well, unless you are in the education system, you might not know the answer to that, but some of those are, some of those aren't, some of those are and they're packaged in a different way than I just said, but all of those things could be learning opportunities that contribute to a child's education. Now, stick those kids in um, four walls of a school and your answer might be different than if I say stick those kids in four walls of a home and include those exact activities. Are they educational or are they entertainment? Does it matter where, where they are or where they learn whatever they're learning? So I say look for the learning opportunities. 
Look for the activities that the child enjoys. You can find them, you can create them. It doesn't have to be just from that child's interests, although they are really replete with questions at a certain age. They can come up with all sorts of questions um, about all sorts of topics. And if you can just keep track of those, or if you can just, if you have time to jump on them and engage that right then and go find a resource, because I don't know about you, but I really don't know the answer to everything that a three-year-old asks or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. Keep track of those questions, write them down, take a look, analyze it for yourself. Is it educational or is there, is it entertainment? I think it's both. So like, let's look for the learning opportunities, which means First, I think we have to acknowledge and follow their learning interests. When we do that, we get exposed to all sorts of things. Um, one daughter is interested in learning ASL in my home right now. I did that in college and I really loved that, but I hadn't thought about doing that as a second language. I had one daughter that talked about learning about geology, rocks and formations. And so we did that for a few months when she was about nine or 10 I, A, never thought she would be interested in that, and I, B, didn't realize that I also wouldn't have thought I'd be interested in it, but I was. We've gone all over the map, literally, for geography and for any possible topic. We've gone in all sorts of different directions just because we were following our kids' learning interests. You know, my oldest daughter loved reading Usborne books, which if I were to sell anything, that would be the thing that I would be most eager to sell because Usborne is a wonderful company that really does um, touch all different kinds of topics, but in a really um, easy to engage way. Great books. So she might have started with Usborne books and then transitioned into historical fiction, or as Charlotte Mason says, real books or living books. Um, she wasn't interested in being taught. She wasn't interesting, interested in being told what to do. She still isn't. We stayed up um, the night to watch Kate and Will's wedding, and she knows all the family lineage of the monarchy. Um, and when we've done traveling into the uh, United Kingdom, we definitely did as much as we could um, to get to you know, see the crown jewels and to go stand outside Buckingham Palace and, and see all the museums and art galleries. She wasn't actually interested at all in Latin when we were at home. And now she's, she was the kid that I said I did the unschooling for. And so she right now is doing um, a human, or she's doing a social sciences degree in a variety of things, but psychology, philosophy, she's doing Latin and she's enjoying her Latin classes and decided to take a minor in ancient Roman and Greek civilization. So go figure. This kiddo that loved history way back when, still doing it. I introduced Latin as a learning opportunity. She really didn't care. She doesn't learn the same kind of Latin that we started with, but she loves Latin. Um, my second daughter, since she was two, was always curious about zoology from undersea stickers, um, sticker books to aquarium visits to ocean visits around the world. We found a way to follow her interests. So quickly into homeschooling, we learned that we were enabling our kids learning. Every question was on the table and we had to shift gears and see that we had to take time to answer those questions if we were going to provide them an education based on their own interests. And if there is a question, if there is a curiosity, it is worth pursuing. Are you wondering how to create learning opportunities for spelling, writing, vocabulary, maybe speech presentation, um, literary critique? I've got all those things in posts on my blog for ideas, but the sky's the limit for learning opportunities. You can find a way. And I think the benefit of curriculum, purchasing curriculum, is that it actually trains you to engage the learning opportunities and to see the learning opportunities and to think about how you can actually um, present sometimes learning opportunities that maybe some of your kids aren't as interested in. I think you can acknowledge and follow your interests too. As a homeschool family, you have this opportunity to 
include you as the homeschool mom, which is a great self-care strategy. You can enjoy learning about learning. You can enjoy, um, like for me, I really love art history and classical music. So we've done all sorts of different books for art history. My kids know probably more than typical kids about Impressionism. And um, when we visit art galleries around the world, it might have started with me and some of my kids like it and some of my kids definitely don't, but they all have been exposed to things that are just uniquely my interests. The same with classical music, the same with, uh, you know, we built a house. So I uh, did a lot of house design with a couple of kids and built a homestead. We've um, traveled and that travel idea was my husband's and mine. And of course, you naturally learn as you're going. There's all sorts of things that you learn while you're traveling. Certainly you learned geography. So what can you share with your kids? Your interests aren't just an opportunity for you to include your interests in your day. It's also an opportunity for your kids to get exposed to different things they might not otherwise be interested in. My husband has an interest um, in Canadian history, American history, and politics. And lots to learn there recently. Um, Broadway theater and poker, chess, strategy games. And he's great at giving a, a really good presentation and all things presidential history. And all of those interests he's been able to share with them. So what can you share with your kids? The third thing I would say about looking for learning opportunities is, is to trust the way that they learn is the right way to learn. Ooh, that one's tricky. That one is like an act of practice. It's a practice because we are schooled, most of us, so we think that an education comes in a certain package in a certain way of doing something. And it usually involves um, fresh markers or pencil crayons at the beginning of the year. It includes a lecture and a teacher and grades and tests and quizzes and pop quizzes and um, you know all sorts of things. Whatever you think of as a conventional education, there is only one right way to learn. But reality is no, there isn't. It was Sir Ken Robinson in his famous book and TED Talk when he shared about his experience with education. He did an experiment by putting a computer stall or a station in the middle of a, um, a low-income neighborhood in rural India. These kids had never seen computers before, ever. They didn't get exposed to computers like our children do from almost day one. And yet they put this computer stand in the middle of that community. And by the end of the week, and they were tracking how kids were engaging that computer, they'd never even been shown how to turn it on. And yet by the end of the week, they were able to um, access the internet and get all sorts of resources on the internet, be able to use uh, Microsoft Word and a variety of other programs. And all of that because Humans are industrious and curious, and we learn differently, but we all can figure stuff out if we're left to our own devices. I'm not sure that I would figure out a computer. I'm not probably that kid that would have figured out the computer, but I might have figured out some other things. And so we all have our different ways of learning and, and different um, interests and natural tendencies. But that's the thing, is that we're trying to pay attention to our child and how they're learning. Some of my kids love learning as a group, and some of them absolutely did not, and they wanted to do things on their own. They didn't want even me to be engaged or involved in something. Um, we have to pay attention to how do our children learn, and there are many different resources online. Uh, learning How to Learn by Barbara Oakley was an incredible book that I read last year. I actually read it with the kids. And so we, we discussed the different ways to approach learning. But I, there's so many resources. You can do little quizzes online and learn about what your child's natural tendency is. Or like I said at the beginning of this program, even learning a bit about their Enneagram personality profiling or uh, their Myers-Briggs um, personality profile. These things help you to kind of understand your children a little bit better. 
you watch how they naturally learn, you watch how much stimulation they want, or if they like doing hands-on things, or if they'd rather just listen to an audio thing, or if they want to watch something on YouTube, or if they want to just, you know, the sky's the limit. There's not just like four different ways to learn. There are many different ways to learn. There's many different um, subjects that you could learn in different ways. I think we often do our children disservice by trying to speed things up, which I'm definitely guilty of doing, but trying to compartmentalize things and say, okay, now we have to do this next. Now we have to do this next. And we give them a lot of freedom to free flow and to just learn what they're learning or really go deep into what they're learning. They're really taking it in and they're really keeping it for themselves for a really um, a purpose later. It has intention for their education. And the last thing that I would mention quickly is that what do you want them to learn? Surprisingly, not many people ask themselves as parents, what do I want my children to learn? It's not just, you know, how to use a barometer or, um, you know, how to plant Jerusalem artichokes and get a really delicious meal or have algebra before they're in grade nine or, you know, make sure that they have all the checks so that they can finish their grade 12 diploma in time. All of those things have their place and their value, but at a core, what do you want your children to learn? It's fair for you to answer that question. It's your family. These are your children. You are their greatest advocate. Here's what I would say. I want my kids to be independent thinkers which is hilarious because I have definitely taught my children to be independent thinkers. And when they're independently thinking away or outside of me, it's not always comfortable, but I want them to coexist in the world harmoniously, kindly and responsibly. I want to find things that they enjoy doing that brings them purpose and brings their communities value and monetizing. It would be a really great thing to find a way to create an income doing something that you enjoy. That would be my goal for learning opportunities. So I am going to open up the um, discussion area. If you have any questions, you're welcome to ask me a few questions. So you asked, Rachel asked, what were the challenging parts of your homeschool journey? That is a great question. Because I think that's the number one reason why people don't homeschool. And in a nutshell, it is me seeing my, hmm, myself through the eyes of my children or realizing that I'm projecting the yucky stuff onto my kids and trying to actually see them for the separate individuals that they really are. And that, I think, is really a parenting thing. It's not the academics. There's always a way to figure out academics and to find academics. And there's always a way to create social opportunities for your kids, maybe not during the pandemic in the last number of months, but other than that, I don't think we've ever had a, a concern about, are my children going to become socialized and know how to engage other human beings in a kind, considerate way? A concern that I think has only become a concern over the last few months in quarantine. But I would say that the most difficult thing is actually facing my own stuff. Because though parenting is challenging, parenting while homeschooling is kind of like parenting on amphetamines. It can be pretty intense at times. Which is, by the way, the reason I wrote Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive Not to Survive. It's a book that should be coming out any day now. And I wrote it because I had to figure out my own self-care strategies as I homeschooled. It's an intense homeschool lifestyle at times. It's a very gratifying lifestyle that is filled with so many memories. And I know my children well in a way that I would not necessarily get to know them if I wasn't at home with them. And I have watched them grow right before my eyes in mornings. Some days I get to see them grow an extra inch and, and I get to experience the best parts of them, the best parts of their day. And I get to watch them become the amazing people that they are. So um, the most challenging thing, though, would definitely be me facing me.
Is there any other questions? Okay, thank you. Well, I'm gonna share a self-care strategy before I let you go because I am due for a poolside development hour at the beach. And I would say my self-care strategy, if you listen to my podcast episode with Robin Robertson from um, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids podcast. She is an amazing interviewer. She really cares about her, her um, guests. And she has such interesting things to share about self-directed learning. But on my podcast, which I released today, she shares about her own experience growing up in different countries around the world, the opportunities that she got to give to her own two children in uh, traveling and living in Jamaica and in South Korea, and I think there was somewhere else. And uh, she got to share how she developed a community as a homeschool podcaster. And she's uh, very enthused about self-directed learning in general. But I have to say that her and I had this chat. She knows me from other places. And she was talking to me about um, um, enjoying a certain drink, that she likes to hang out in the afternoons with a certain drink. The name, I don't remember. It's an unusual drink. And I was telling her that I really like tequila for summer and gin for fall or for winter. And I think in some ways I could be encouraging an, a habit that's not so helpful for some people. But I think the goal in us talking about that is more about find a way to tap into that inner relaxed mama that actually can hang out and enjoy all those amazing moments that we can have with our kids. So my self-care strategy tip for you this week is to find a way once a day to just hang out and be present with your kids. I hope that this week you can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. Thank you for joining me today. I'd love to hear more about who you are. So come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, Homeschool Mama Self Care. My goal is to equip you with self-care strategies to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you want to learn more about my course, How to Homeschool 101, or my upcoming book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive, Not Just Survive, head over to my blog, www.capturingthecharmlife.com. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode there. I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And until next time, I hope you can turn your challenges into your charms.